there's a couple of parallels there with Bruce Wayne's character I found interesting. Joe, you just blew my mind. This is the story of Batman. Dodge this. I am the father. I'm here on a mission of mercy. There's only one God, man, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Let's put a smile on that face. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the real world. This is episode 107 of the Movie Bite podcast. We are going to talk today about, hey, guess what? Movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, and more. We are recording on Tuesday, September the 23rd, 2014. I am TJ, your host, and joining me today is the -the off-the-books detective. He is really good at finding stuff out about uh, murder mysteries. It is Joe Darnell. How are you, Mr. Darnell? I'm doing very well tonight, TJ. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Uh, well, of course, you're, you're my co-host. I am honored that you would call me a, a wonderful detective and all that stuff, but I hold everything close to the chest, so I don't really, I'm not really going to tell you anything. I'm very dark and secretive and mysterious. So, so what, you know, you went to the theater and investigated this movie, but you're going to hold those cards close to the vest. You're not going to, it's going to be That's a short right. I'm not going to give you any <laughs> of my clues. I'm not going to show you any evidence. I'm not going to tell you what I'm thinking. You're not going to know what's happening until it happens. Well, this will uh, this will be interesting. Uh, I, I'm uh, as I was making my notes, I, I actually wrote out the review or the the outline, excuse me, for this episode in Google Docs, um, and I, I wrote down what I thought my star rating should be of the film that we're going to review a little later. And and then as I made my notes, then I went and I made my bullet point notes so that I could you know have a little bit more idea of what I want to talk about when we get there. And boy, the the Weighing the, of the scales indicates maybe I should downgrade my star rating. Just a little preview <laughs> of what I'm thinking there. <laughs> Man, and I have been struggling with this one a lot, too, so I'm very interested to see what you think. Yeah, and I, I just, I, I think I told you last night, Joe, I don't know, I, some, to some extent, I don't, I don't know what I think. There was a lot of a lot to chew on. Well, but, well, let me guess. It's like something about it is more disturbing than usual, while at the same time you still appreciate some of its finer filmmaking qualities. Sure, yeah, some yeah. some of its some of its finer filmmaking qualities for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's like in a nutshell what I'm thinking. Yeah, let's not uh, uh, let's not spoil it completely before yeah. we get there because th- we usually do talk about these after we talk <clears throat> about some current events and news and some links and some things that we want to talk about. So That was just the teaser. Yeah, that's that's what we call in the biz a teaser. Um so uh is this shows is what people tune in for? Yes. Okay. So let's talk about um uh let's talk about some stuff that's going on in the world of film and uh and and stuff like that. We yes, have let's. Yeah, we have uh, Avengers Age of Ultron news here. And this is from Jim uh Vegvoda. Uh, I have no idea. Veggie man. Yes, we'll call him the Veggie Tales man. Uh, <laughs> um, he is from IGN.com. He's writing at IGN.com, and he says that Disney has released a new official plot synopsis for Marvel's The Avengers Age of Ultron. Check it out below. And I quote, Marvel Studios presents Avengers Age of Ultron, the epic follow-up to the biggest superhero movie of all time. When Tony Stark tries to jumpstart a dormant peacekeeping program, things go awry, and Earth's mightiest heroes, including Iron Man, 
Captain America, Thor, the Incredible Hulk, Black Widow, and Hawkeye are put to the ultimate test as the fate of the planet hangs in the balance. That sounds like a summary to any movie, doesn't it? (laughs) As the villainous Ultron emerges, emerges, it is up to the Avengers to stop him from enacting his terrible plans, and soon uneasy alliances and unexpected action pave the way for an epic and unique global adventure. Uh, blah blah blah. It goes on to talk. The whole about. next paragraph is a bunch of blah 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 because it's like um, the cast list at the end. Yeah. The uh, you know like uh, yeah, the whole second paragraph. Like shoot, that's like four very wordy sentences of cast, 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 and more cast. Yeah, whatever. It's typical, you know, press summary release, press release stuff. Um, I have a theory. I don't know whether it's right or wrong. I mentioned the theory in the article, which will be in the show notes, which, by the way, for those of you who aren't listening to this podcast via an app that shows you the show notes, you can go to moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 107 to get these show notes, and you'll click on that link. Probably should be, I think it'll be the first link in the notes. Uh, And there you'll find a link to this article, in which I say, I think that this may be uh, Zola's or algorithm from Captain America the Winter Soldier. You remember what I'm talking about? Uh, refresh my memory. All right, so Zola, I cannot remember his first name, but he was... Oh, was the, he the, the nerd, little nerdy, creepy yeah, Nazi yeah, Toby with Jones, glasses? Toby Jones, uh, this Toby Jones scientist, uh, Zola, he had this algorithm, you know, and he was the one that appeared on the screen, uh, spoiler alert, and Captain America, the Winter Soldier, when they went to the abandoned bunker, and he was basically the one that had been uh, working on the infiltration of S.H.I.E.L.D. all that time. You know what? I think what's more likely, uh, when I heard of the dormant peacekeeping program, I was thinking about the uh, last, I guess it was just the last Iron Man 3 film because in that he had created a army of Iron Men and then he had never done anything with them. Well, he and destroyed in the them second all. Film, hmm? He destroyed what? them all. In, in I know, Man but 3. you know, then again, you could call that dormant, right? Hmm. And in the uh, Iron Man 2, they also alluded to the idea that there could be this uh, army of patriotic Iron Men and so I, I was thinking, you know, they might have something where they have, uh, you know, that rebooted because uh, Tony Stark might want to retire and just take the captain's chair and, you know, kick back with a pina colada and boss our Iron Man robots around all day. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it sounds like a way to retire for a Stark. So you have reached, reached the live life model decoy. Please yeah. leave a message at the beep. And I could totally see that. And that, that was what I pictured when I heard about the peacekeeping program. Yeah. Um, but then again, it would be kind of interesting, right, if they took your idea and mine and mashed them up. Yeah. Well, I mean, because my idea was basically that uh, the Zola algorithm was something that Tony Stark thought he could modify into a peacekeeping program in his arrogance, as you know, because he's always arrogant. And then instead it goes all Skynet. Uh, and- yeah, and I could see that, too, except... The nerd in me just doesn't understand how he would take all that programming on those ancient computers and update them to modern technology. Mm. Those ancient computers housed consciousness, you have to remember. Yeah, right. (laughs) Only Hydra could pull that off. Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see how this uh, kind of... uh how, how the fall of S.H.I.E.L.D. factors into all this, because we're we're still dealing with fallout from that, and right now as we speak... um, uh, the Agents of Shield uh, season two is is premiering, uh, which I don't get to watch until tomorrow night if I'm lucky. If I'm not too busy, I'll watch it via Hulu tomorrow night. Uh, and and so you know, Coulson is taking over as as a rebuilding Shield and and all this stuff. So it'll be interesting to see how this all this fits together. And and we know from last year, from last season, that they they tightly knit everything together with the TV show and the and the release of the films and stuff. Mm. 
Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know what? Um, in other movie news about movie adaptations, you have a CGI animated Popeye test footage post here on Movie Byte. what did you think of this oh this is really cool because um i mean like i was never really into into popeye but my dad was and so he had us watch all the cartoons when i was a kid on vhs tapes and i I don't remember if I ever actually saw any still playing on TV when I was a kid, but there might have been some on PBS or something, like the Cartoon Network, maybe? Yeah, yeah. I, I remember seeing it at various times during my childhood, and I would be into it. Uh, I think it, I can't remember, it may have been part of my cartoon routine at some point, um, the, you know, the reruns and whatnot, and so I was certainly... Well, did you actually like them like them, or did mm. you just, were you kind of like mildly amused by them? I mean, I have fond memories of them, but it's not like they're, it's not yeah. like, not like, oh boy, I'm revealing my dorkiness. It's not like Garfield was for me, or that was like my mainstay no. as a kid. Right. Well, hey, no. <laughs> Who doesn't Gar- like Lorenzo Garfield's music? You know? Garf- if you if you liked Garfield now, that would be dorky. Oh, that's awful. My, my kids like it. <laughs> well, the, the Garfield in the paper today? No, no. My kids like the CGI Garfield TV show. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, oh. No, no. Oh. Yeah. I mean... I'm sorry, TJ. Yeah. We can't be friends anymore. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I think I would like it better if Lorenzo Music were still alive. I mean, there is no other Garfield. Lorenzo Music is and always has been Garfield for me. Is that the guy who was in the cartoon classic in the 90s? Yeah, that's the one who played Garfield's voice. <laughs> I'm calling it classic. <laughs> it, no, no, it is classic. I think it is. Um, and, and in some ways it is. It didn't feel yeah. like it belonged to the 90s. It, it was uh, transcendent. Well, I think I think that show may have started in the 80s. Um, here, you, you, you talk about Popeye for a minute. I'll okay, well, what I was thinking about Popeye and why I brought up the old days was because I was thinking about, you know, um, it's really hard to carry over the feel of cartoon classics to the modern era. And what most of the studios have done is they've just said, you know what, we don't really care about... Uh, recreating the feel of old comic strips or the original cartoons because modern audiences, they want something new and different. They want something brought up to modern times and they want it to feel like the modern era. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to turn to SpongeBob here. We're going to take a couple ideas from that and we're going to apply them to Looney Tunes and you have Space Jam or, you know, they do something like that. And then everything just feels, you know, all out of whack. Because they've done this to uh, Mickey Mouse characters where everything has been watered down to where they're basically just um, nothing different from Blue's Clues characters on the Disney Channel. You know, Donald Duck is never angry. He's always just, uh, you know, petting the dog and washing the car and, you know, know, reading and writing with, you know, the kindergartners. And it's, it's really disappointing because we've lost a lot of the original creative content. And the feel of the creative content from early cartoon filmmaking and the kids today are not being able to relive that. I completely agree. Because they haven't been able to um, make it work for modern audiences. And I don't think it's that it cannot be done. I just don't think that a group of filmmakers and animators have pulled it off yet. I think it can be done. And it's very... It seems... Out of the ordinary to me that perhaps it could be done with Popeye of all things... 
but yeah. they may be on to something here. They might they may be. be able to pull well, it off. Let me interject and say that Garfield and Friends ran from 1988 through 1995. Uh, it was a fantastic show for kids. I mean, I, I still enjoy watching a, an episode occasionally once in a while. I'm not going to lie, but it's not it's not like my favorite thing ever to sit and watch. But I can see why I loved it as a kid. It had a different quality to it. That the, I'll sit down and I'll um, you know my kids want to watch a, a Garfield episode from you know the, for the, from the CGI Garfield on Netflix or something, and it's not it's not like I he's, oh I, I can't let them watch that. No, it's not that. It's just that I don't like it. And I, I sit and I watch an episode with them. And I'm like, this is not like this doesn't have the charm. It doesn't have any of the cartoon slapstick. It doesn't have anything to recommend it. Uh, and that you're right that that kind of kind of permeates current thinking in cartoon like it's it's too watered down oh the children the violent cartoons let's make it all happy stupid <laughs> and if this test animation and again this must be stressed that this Popeye animation is just test footage it but is it's great test footage right but if it's if the final product resembles this at all I still think that the CGI looks a little uh what what would you say lifeless or something like it doesn't have the same quality as that hand-drawn animation but the the feel of it was very old school cartoony and i liked that yeah i really like the the look of what they have here in the test footage and and how they explain it beforehand with the animator right yes yeah so yeah everybody should watch this if you have any interest in kids cartoons and the classic character or Maybe you want to go watch this movie with your grandpa or something. Then I think he could seriously be interested in this film. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on it for sure. Just just like I am with the Peanuts film too. Although I I don't know, I haven't seen as much from that. We've just gotten that teaser trailer, but it feels like there's definitely an interest as as is being demonstrated by the making films and reviving these old cartoons in a more modern way. And I have such mixed feelings about that. And what's really funny too is that. Just from this test footage, I feel like we have a better reading of the Popeye film than we have of the Peanuts film. Absolutely. It, the Peanuts film just felt like it was trying to make you feel positive about the overarching, um, I don't know, like the public image. It felt like you were looking at the poster rather than actually looking at anything that would represent the movie. Yes. And we all know how you should never judge the movie by its poster. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) So I had a hard time with that teaser, but this felt like the animators were trying to actually capture the essence of something here. And by just the looks of the test footage, it felt like it belonged in a a really tight and entertaining uh, film short. Um, I would be really jazzed if they could create a series of film shorts with Popeye that would lead up to the launch of the actual film, which I doubt they'll find the time to no, do. No, they, they but won't that do kind that. of thing that, would be really fun. That would be fun. I, I and that's a pr- an approach that I don't think anybody's taken yet, and I wish somebody would. I think you know the last time I can think of that be- being done was with uh, the film uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> Roger uh, Rabbit. No, no, no. I would say that Pixar tends to get this right. Um, think of what they did with Toy Story three and those little, you know, the commercials and the shorts and the, you know, remember that commercial where you never saw any of the toys, but there was Google going, you know, the googling, uh, can't you know, toys in college or something like that, and it was just really fun. Yeah, you're right, but I, I, I guess. They had a different feel to them than what I'm thinking of with the Who Framed Roger Rabbit uh, film shorts. Yeah, no, I, I know, what, I, you I know what you mean. Yeah, and the 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 Pixar. Um, what am I thinking of? I, I guess what I'm uh, what I'm thinking of is old cartoons modernized versus like the likes yeah, of the no, modern and, stuff by and, Pixar. And I remember even when I was a kid, you know, even though I wasn't allowed to watch Roger Rabbit, um, I do remember coming on to you know stuff coming on TV, little, little shorts of Roger Rabbit cartoons. I know exactly what you're talking about. 
Um, and that, I was upset that I wasn't allowed to watch the movie. I remember. So did yeah, you ever I, get around to it? Oh yeah. I've watched it several times. I love that movie. Mm. It's, it's fantastic. Um, yeah, so I know exactly what you're saying and, and you're right. That would be a really good thing to do. So, uh, we, we, we're just idea people. They're going to have to take this and run with it. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm completely borrowing Dan Benjamin's line there, but, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we, I mean, this is just an idea that they're, they're going to have to come and pay me, of course, to, to have this idea because it originated here on the movie by podcast and I That's right. royalties, but, but yeah, no, I think they should do that. Of course, TJ. Joe, this is your area. Oh yes. Speaking of one of my areas, TJ. A Supergirl TV series is coming to CBS. That's awesome. If you say so. Uh, assuming that it's awesome, uh, which we will have to wait and see. Uh, reported by Angie Han on Slash Film, Supergirl is coming to CBS. The network has just landed the DC Comics adaptation, which is being executive produced by Greg Berlanti, who also handles Arrow, and Ali Adler, who handles No Ordinary Family. The pickup means that, if all goes well, four of the five broadcast networks will be airing shows based on DC characters next season. The fifth, ABC, will still be in the costume hero game with Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter. And then you went on to say that you didn't know whether or not to laugh or cry. And I can understand that because, oh, DC, you're disappointing us so much these days. Well, not only that, we have to go back further. Do you remember the 1984 Helen Slater Supergirl? Uh, Okay. (laughs) Do I remember? Uh, Do you want to remember is the question. (laughs) Uh, Do you want me to tell you what I honestly think of those old films? Please, Those were just ahead. dark days for films in general, unless you happen to be Steven Spielberg or George Lucas. But well, I mean, because the first Superman film was good, right? And 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 then there was that some, was in the late seventies, but yeah, very late seventies. It wasn't that long before this, before the nineteen eighty four Supergirl. And then there was Superman two, and you're like, eh, I kind of want to like it, but it kind of didn't age well. And, but you and, remember there was a Spider Man back in those days too, and nobody what, really wait, wants whoa, to talk wait, about whoa, that. Whoa, whoa, what? Yeah, there were Spider-Man shows and stuff, mm. movies or something. I remember seeing live-action Spider-Man in the old day, and um, th- it was like something that everybody quickly wanted to forget about. Well, let's just say that DC's foray into Supergirl was terrifically awful. It was it was well, fantastically yeah. awful. Well, you got to understand that everything about Supergirl and the comic books is lackluster as well. I mean, like That's it would be really right. hard there to is, translate the character. There is nothing. There is nothing to commend this. Like I, I. That's why I said I don't know whether to laugh or cry. There's nothing here to to, to like or to or to make me think that it's going to be any good because of the general state of DC today. Because of the general state of comics today. Because even even Marvel is having a hard time finding it within themselves to. to to get out there and release a Black Widow film, for instance. They have the material. They have the characters. They have the interest. They're not doing it. I can't see DC doing any better. I don't know. But what do you know about ordin- uh, No Ordinary Family and uh, the Arrow TV show? Nothing. I know nothing. Oh, okay. Well, see, th- that's what you're missing, is that um, the Arrow TV show is actually pretty decent. I've and- heard that. I, 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 I can't say I've, I know nothing, because I have heard that. And, and it's on my list, trust me. But, I mean, 
my well, wife. Well, you have a lot of pl- uh, catching up to do. Oh, no, I do. already into like third, fourth season. So once we finished Burn Notice, my wife insisted that the next series that we must watch is Sherlock. And she was, it's good. I, I fully admit. I'm greatly enjoying myself catching up on Sherlock. But, but you know, the problem is, you know, I'm, I, I see a movie a week and I, I work uh, probably 12 to, you know, 14 hours a day and it's just ridiculous. So <laughs> it's just hard. It, it really is hard to catch up on a schedule like that because there's oh, barely I, any time. I completely understand. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. It could take you a long time before you get to Arrow. Did you ever watch the Smallville TV show? I started to, and for some reason I didn't. Like I've, I've watched three or four episodes, and I thought this is interesting. I'm definitely going to watch this series at least until it gets <laughs> boring. And then, that. and then for some reason I just it didn't, not on purpose. It just sort of dropped off, and I haven't picked it back up. So I, well, I sure. will. I will. And, and you know, it dropped off the radar for everybody by now. Oh, um, okay. Because I was a Superman fan back in the day, I watched the first, I think, <laughs> five seasons. And I must have watched, rewatched all of them like four times each because there were things throughout the entire program that I really enjoyed and other things that majorly irked me. But I felt like it was well, one of the best executions up to that date. And to some you know, extent, it had I some could, fantastic episodes. Yeah, I mean, I could see to some extent as I started to watch it how it could it was going to get very episodic. Um, it, it, not in a, I'm not saying in a good way, like like oh, here's our here's our deal of the week that we're going to deal with type of thing. Sure. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say though is is that if it, it can be as good as Smallville, then I would be okay with the Supergirl television show. Mm. I would like to think that. DC would stop messing around and get serious, but... Uh. Well, we, we talk about DC. We don't know to what extent they're involved in this TV show. Um, I mean, Right, it is, but I mean, by all signs, uh, point to the idea that DC is really struggling creatively. They like, are. Like, nobody they wants are. to do their work with them. And Arrow has been the only thing that I'm really excited about from DC at the moment. And it's from... it's Isn't it funny, though, that, like, DC's Arrow is the, what, the... Um, the equivalent of Marvel's Black, uh, Hawkeye. Yeah. Hawkeye, yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. They're basically the same character from the two different comic book worlds. Right. Isn't it funny that Hawkeye is like the most underplayed of all the Marvel characters? And then for right now, the only DC character that's in the limelight is Arrow. Um, that cracks me up. That kind of highlights the differences between DC and Marvel. Did, did yeah, you, speaking absolutely of, backwards. Speaking of Superman films, or Superman on TV, did you ever watch Lois and Clark? <laughs> I did, and um, even then it bothered me. <laughs> it was I, I was just a kid, and I and I was like, "What are they doing? This is wrong." It's and messed it, up. Yeah. I, well, there weren't many shows that made me feel that way. Yeah, Man, well, I mean, it's it's you usually don't feel that way when you're just a kid. No, uh, I mean, your childhood should be like awesome and fancy free, but then Lois and Clark came along and ruined my life. Yeah, it was it was pretty awful, actually. Ugh. Yeah, I, I, I uh, every once in a while I'll revisit an old show, maybe on YouTube or something, just to say, was it really that bad? And I don't know. It was like three or four years ago. I think before, I think before I would have started Movie Bite even, and I, I, I like watch an episode or something, found it on YouTube or something. I'm like, <laughs> what the actual heck is going on here? Well, this is way worse than I remember. <laughs> yeah, for what it is worth, it was that generation's where are my pants? I mean, it was that. <laughs> Nice way to tie it back in. <laughs> Where are my pants? <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. It, it, yeah, I have nothing more to add to that. <laughs> Thank God we're never going to review that show. No. All right. Well, Joe, I wrote an article last night. Instead of instead of gathering news as I often do on on uh, weekday nights to have to post on the on the site the next day, I decided instead when I got home from the theater to come home and write an article. 
Uh, and you did a good job, sir. Oh, thank you. Um, this was, uh, I, I, I watched five trailers. I think well, it was five, right? One, two, three, four, five. Yes, there were five trailers before my movie last night, and I thought it would be nice to just write up a little something about each of these. Um, oh, so all of these were playing before yes, your these movie. Were, these were the five trailers that played. I thought I made that clear. Maybe I didn't. These are the five trailers that played before my, before uh, the movie that w- of which we will review in a few minutes. That's funny. Yeah, this is a completely different list of trailers from what they showed me. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, they they definitely you know do it per theater. Um, yeah, and I was really tired when I went to watch this film, and I still enjoyed myself, and I enjoyed the the trailers. I I, I really it's it's like a ritual for me. You know, I I like to sit and watch the trailer. Like people are like. Yeah, I know that I've got at least 15 minutes or 20 minutes of trailers. I'll, I'll you know, kind of waltz into the movie a little late and grab a seat. And, and to me, I mean, I like to get there and watch the trailers. Even if they're bad trailers, I like to kind of analyze them and, and you know, figure out what I'm interested in. And I, I set my – this is the only time during a movie which I'll be using my phone. I, I will kind of have my phone on the lowest setting, you know, screen setting so that um, I don't bother anybody. And the lights haven't gone completely out yet during the trailers at my theater. And uh, I, I will have Evernote open, and the ones that I'm interested in, I'll take down on a, on a list. So that's mm. kind of my ritual. Okay, so first you have on the list the uh, Kill the Messenger, starring Jeremy Renner. Gary Webb, San Jose Mercury News. You believe in conspiracy theories, Gary? No, I don't believe in conspiracy theories. Conspiracies, yes. If I believe it, there's nothing theory about it. Was the government aware that you were smuggling tons of cocaine into the United States? Yes, the government knew. This leads to very sensitive national security matters. National security and crack cocaine, the same sentence. Does that not sound strange to you? I'm going to tell you the whole truth. I'm going to introduce you to people you should talk to. And then you will be faced with the most important decision of your life. Oh yeah, what's that? Deciding whether to share it or not. One of the DEA's most wanted brought in thousands of kilos of cocaine to the U.S. every day. For them. For who? The U.S. government. Or with them. Or at least while they were looking the other way. Jesus. L.A., New York, Atlanta. I couldn't sell it fast enough to keep up with supply. Fancy information you have there. Good? Yeah. Yeah. I- I'm looking forward to it. This guy needs his moment to shine. Yeah, this is this is um, kind of taking place in the seventies. I don't know exactly when, but um, it's it's based on the true story of uh, Pulitzer Prize winning jo- uh, journalist uh, Gary Webb. Uh, Webb found out uh, about uh, government secrets, and the government wished that he hadn't. And uh, he was like a bulldog and wouldn't let it go. Apparently, um, and uh, it's it's definitely headed for a very government conspiracy feel. I I am, I am far from a conspiracy nut. Uh, you know, I, I most conspiracy theories hold no weight with me, but I definitely think there are some shady things and some government cover-ups that go on and i think this may address them quite well where it might get shaky for me is dealing with drug stuff i don't know what do you think well first of all uh it wants to be what do you call one of those like based on a true story type movies oh it's definitely based on a true story for sure and it's an outdated story so obviously the government is kind of going to be hands off today so that's why the movie can be afford to be made um although lots of movies these days like what was it um uh, well, there's count, there's dozens of them now, really. 
Lots of movies these days involve stories that are based on government conspiracies. Well, there's a lot of unrest about that. You know, it, it's kind of a weird situation we find ourselves in where we we know that things are going on that we're not happy about as a free people. And yet we still have the freedom to talk about them, the relative freedom. Like I don't you, you and I don't fear. I don't fear that the CIA is going to come knocking on my door because I like the look of this film. You know, or that, that the FBI is going to whisk me off in the middle <laughs> yeah. of the night. I just don't. That's not going to happen. And and unless we're, we're, you happen to mention you like it on Facebook, yeah. Well, even so, I mean, we're we're several years out from that ever becoming a thing. I think, even though I feel like we're headed towards that if we don't steer the ship in the right direction. And anyway, that that's kind of an aside. Uh, it's an interesting place we find ourselves in in that way. But yeah, I I completely agree. But how did we get off on conspiracy theories? Because that's kind of what's going on in this in this film is that uh, th- this guy is uncovering conspiracy theories and 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 plots and and things that are going on in the government that are pretty shady. Yeah, and from what for what it's worth, I- I'm entertained by the trailer alone, so I want to see this film. I think it, I'm expecting it to be good. Yeah, I think, and I think uh, it what will it says be. here on IMDb is that it's coming out October 10th. That's correct. Ooh. It also says that in my article, if you know where to look for it. So we'll be uh, reviewing that pretty soon. Yes, I, I definitely, that is, in fact, is that, uh, I, I don't remember seeing it in Trello. I have to look right now. Um, wow, well, how, is it, it, how is it not there? That's weird. Well, this it. is the first time I have actually seen the trailer was today when I saw your, your piece. So This is an oversight because I've seen the trailer before. Um, huh. So that's coming out the same day. That the judge comes out, which I'm also interested in. But the, oh yeah, uh, so, we have to cover that one too. Yeah, I'm, in fact, I may we may do the judge before kill the messenger, they, but they do come out on the same day. Um, so I want to say kill the messenger. Doing this live on the air, Joe. Kill the messenger in theaters. Yeah, this is what the you know people tune in for. Yes, for sure. this is. I was going to mention that this movie's got a really beautiful. Well, <laughs> what do I mean by beautiful? It has a very cool, stylish poster. Yeah, you uh, you uh, sent that to me um, in a uh, iMessage. That is hard for me to link to. I can't link to iMessages. Do you have this on the interweb somewhere where we can put it in the show notes? Oh yeah, well it's it's just the main poster on IMDb for this movie. Okay, well I'll put so, the yeah. uh, I'll put the IMDb uh, link in the uh, show notes. Let me grab that, and here they go. Right, and well. It's definitely a cover art that is um, depicting its time, and it looks like something that would come straight out of the time frame of the movie story. Um, I I, I don't know what else I have to say. It'll be nice to see Jeremy Renner doing something that is more dramatic rather than um, uh, fantastic, if you will. Yeah. When he was in the Bourne film, we saw him the Bourne legacy, Mm. and uh, say what you will about the movie, Mm. but I was okay with his performance, Mm. and I felt like he proved that he could be an okay action star. And then we also saw him as well doing his chops with uh, the Avengers team as Hawkeye, and I think that everybody liked him. Like as far as the underdog, like the uh, thinkless um, sidekick or whatever you want to call him, you really appreciated him on some level, even though we hardly really got to know him. And then there was also his performance in, um, what was it? Um, uh, Hansel and Gretel. Mm, yeah which killers or something like that which uh, and which I, I cannot i cannot really say much in favor of that film but mm-hmm. i liked jeremy renner again yeah. so I, I think he, he i think he's just you know he, he hasn't gotten into his moment yet 
And this could I mean, be. I, I definitely think he's a good actor, and and this could. You're right. This could be a good good role for him. He's 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 been he's been in some good things, or he's done some good things. Uh, I feel like he, like you said, he's he's always good in what he does, even if he's like he. You can you can only do so much with a bad script, for instance. Uh, yeah, you know. And uh, I feel like he's always good though as an actor. So yeah, you know, it kind of reminds me of Christopher. Um, no, Christian Bale mm-hmm. back after he. Uh, starred in Batman Begins. Right. One of the things he said in an interview was he felt like now it finally got his acting career the attention it needed to give him some really good you know roles to sink his teeth into. I mean, it's probably true. And it didn't necessarily work out that way, but still it did help give him the notoriety that well, he, you know I mean, Christian Bale deserved. Christian Bale's about to be in a Ridley Scott film. I mean, come on, man. That's that's uh, you know, we're, we're, Oh yeah, but I think that Christian Bale has always made good movies. Yeah. So. Yeah. And his uh, his acting career has changed, but he hasn't made more films. It's it's not like he uh, became the next Tom Hanks or something, who just had one mega hit after the next. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah. Well, should we uh, talk about the next one? Yes. The next one is Gone Girl, uh, starring Ben Affleck. Nick Dunn. You're probably the most hated man in America right now. Did you kill your wife, Nick? Everyone told us and told us marriage is hard work. Not for me and Nick. As you all know, my wife, Amy Elliott Dunn, disappeared three days ago. I had nothing to do with the disappearance of my wife. I have nothing to hide. Sammy got friends we can talk to? No, not really. You don't know if she has friends, you don't know what she does all day, and you don't know your wife's blood type. Just being a good guy, so everybody can see him being a good guy. Well, you really don't like him, do you? All I'm trying to do is be nice to the people who are volunteering to help find Amy. I will practice believing my husband loves me, but I could be wrong. You ever seen that guy in the glasses before? Amy is the kind of girl who attracts admirers. Whoever took her is bound to bring her back. I'm hoping you can tell me what this means. You want to solve Amy's treasure hunt? You seen this girl around here? Yeah, I remember her. I know you. I saw you at the volunteer center. I wanted to help. So this is, uh, by, by the way, I should mention uh, Kill the Messenger is rated R for language and drug content. Gone Girl is rated R for a scene of bloody violence, some strong sexual content, and nudity and language. So be well aware. In fact, I think there, I think all these films, save for one, is rated R. So, <laughs> um, and this is in theaters October the third. So coming right up. In fact, it'll come out while I'm on vacation next week. Um, it's directed by David Fincher. David Fincher is known uh, these days, at least to me, for House of Cards. He created the show, and he is the executive producer, and he's directed quite a few of the episodes. Um, and I like House of Cards, but it's it's right on the edge of that line for me. You know, the, everybody has their line of. Boy, that's just too creepy and disturbing for me. And and I think House of Cards rides it pretty well, but I feel like this movie may be over my line. I, I don't know. How do you feel about that? It, it was very creepy watching the trailer. It just felt like a very creepy film. Oh, yeah. It, it, did you ever see Secret Window with uh, Johnny Depp? No. Yeah, it seems like it's in the same genre. It, it looks like something that Stephen King would have came up with. Yes. Yes, it does. And I don't know. Uh, sometimes I like these. Sometimes I don't. And... I think that the material is there. It obviously is a um, decent uh, piece of source material from a Gillian Flynn novel. Um, I think that a lot could be done with it. I I just have to wait and see. Like, is it going to be faithful to the novel? Is it going to be everything is cracked up to be? It's got the star power. 
Um, I, I'm interested to see what uh, what's his name who plays in um, the comedian, the uh, uh, Neil Patrick Harris. No, oh no, yeah, no. Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, him. I'm interested. Yeah, he's in it. yeah, I'm interested to see what he can do in a very serious dark movie. Uh, because as we've seen him as of yet, he's only been in things like the Smurfs and yeah, How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> and here he's being like a sort of creepy dude. But it, then again, it seems like everything and everybody in this movie is kind of creepy. So you don't know who to believe or who to, who to support. Yeah, Ben Affleck definitely comes off pretty creepy. Um, you know, Rosamund Pike is in the film. Uh, she's playing the missing girl. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, boy, I just don't know. And and especially that strong sexual content and nudity might, might put me off, too. Um yeah, sometimes I'm not really interested in creepy for creepy's sake. Yeah, um, yeah, which we'll get to in a little while when we talk about today's review. Yes, we will. Uh, that, that that definitely feels like what's going on here. It it just felt creepy just because it's creepy, like not because there was a reason or or any you know. It's definitely definitely a thriller in that way. I don't know. We'll see. I, I mean, and I know it's uh, highly looked forward to by a lot of people. So hopefully, we haven't made anybody mad by saying I don't know about this. Uh, and, and, you know, it is directed by uh, David Fincher, who has gained my attention from House of Cards. So I, I, suspect, I think I'm more hopeful than you are. But yeah, I suspect that I'll see this film and, and we'll see where it goes. Uh, so that's uh, that's Gone Girl in theaters October 3rd. Uh, of course, link is in the show notes for the trailer. Let's talk about Unbroken. However dark the night, however dim our hopes. Inbound, four o'clock low. The light will always follow darkness. Keep going the way you're going, you'll end up as a bum on the street. You train, you fight harder than those other guys, and you win. You can take it. You can make it. You can do this, Luke. You just gotta believe you can. Pop does. Ma does. I do. Louie, a moment of pain is worth a lifetime of glory. Broken is directed by an interesting choice, uh, Angelina Jolie. Uh, what do you make of that? I don't know what to make of it. Um, I think that she can do it and I think she's proven it just with, uh, some of her, uh, her significant films. Changeling was a really good performance. And didn't she have something to do with the direction in that film? I don't think so, but let's see. Let me, let me find her on IMDb. I'm looking it up real quick. Yeah. So directed by Angelina. Let me click on her name. Clint Eastwood. Huh, that's funny. Director. I forgot about that. Yeah, I don't see any directorial credit for her. on. So so as I mentioned in the article, uh, she directed A Place in Time, which is a documentary from 2007. Uh, she directed a film, In the Land of Blood and Honey, which looked like, yes, it was it, it was released in the Netherlands. I can't find any release information in any other country, so that was kind of weird. Um, and then the next film on her slate is Unbroken, uh, which she's the director of, and that's coming out this year. So she hasn't directed. She's directed hardly anything. But here's the interesting thing: I, I, th- there have been a, a few handful of of uh, actors turned director that that, and it works really well sometimes. And and I think that's because 
a lot of directors, and, and sometimes it works well if they're not actors and, and they bring something different to the table, but an actor as a director brings something different to the table in that they know what's possible. They know what they want from you know the performances they can extract. Sometimes sometimes it doesn't work. So it'll be interesting to see. The trailer certainly looks interesting. Like, this is not something I might have expected from Angelina Jolie. It's, 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 a, uh, it's a surprising direction, I think, for her. What do you, uh, I mean, because she's known kind of for her liberal activism, and yet the the film, toward, as the trailer shows, kind of takes a turn, you know, towards uh, the Japanese capturing these Americans and the Americans being very uh, stand up for America and and I will not I will not sit bad mouth my country and you know that sort of thing, uh, and they they take a lot of uh, torture for it. It's it's an interesting direction, at least to me. Am, am I is there is my thinking messed up on that or I don't know? What do you, what do you think? I agree, and uh, I I think that you're onto something there. It's hard to know exactly what to make of the film based on the trailer. It doesn't feel like a teaser. It feels like it's really showing its hand, and from the looks of it, it's going to be a very positive film, and it obviously addresses the war era, and you wouldn't expect a liberal to confront that head-on, right? but uh, perhaps she knows more to the story than we do. I don't know. Yeah. Um, the plot simply is a World War II hero. Uh, What's his name? Louis? Uh, Louis Zamperini, yeah. a former Olympic track star, survives a plane crash in the Pacific and spends 47 days drifting on a raft and then more than two and a half years living in a, a several Japanese prisoner of war camps. Yes. So it could just be one of those uh, fantastic, uh, heartwarming uh, human interest stories that are man against the odds and you everybody likes the underdog and everybody wants to root for the guy who is unbreakable and uh who will you know have very staunch values and who who will be stubborn about his code of conduct and ethics and the things that he believes in and as we know tj you know this seems like to be the movie theme that we come across the most these days is just that uh all the movies these days that just want to be a feel-good movie, they want to send the message of just believe, believe in yourself. Yeah, yeah. And we kind of got that just from the trailer itself. Yeah, a little bit. So I don't know that she's really like making it a political statement at all. It could no, simply no, be that I'm, she appreciates the value of the guy's you know character. Yeah, I'm not saying that necessarily it's a political statement. I'm just saying it's an interesting choice um, for, for Angelina Jolie. Uh, and, and, you know, one who, you know, she's, she's very anti-war and, and, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying it as a bad or a good thing. I'm just saying it as a fact, like, like sure. this is kind of the way it is. So, um, I, yeah. I do think that Angelina though, appreciates some of the lesser known stories from history as we saw with Changeling that, uh, yeah. it's something that she seems to appreciate when, uh, she can bring it to the, uh, to film and be a part of that. So I would like to see more of this. If this is her thing, if this is one of her side hobbies to, explore the unknown untold stories of you know american history and world history then so be it then all the more to her i'd like to see more of these kinds of films and i'm hopeful i think it looks really good considering that it's coming out on what is it christmas day yes they're obviously trying to attract a, a huge audience and attention from the oscars so there's that yeah and, and here's the thing I, there, there's a um a, a reason why I think World War II tends to be the the war that 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 movies are made about that that work well. There, I mean, there have been movies made about other wars, but but World War II tends to hold a, a special place. And there's a number of things that I think make that the the well. First of all, 
Um, World War II was the last declared war that the United States has been involved in. Did you know that every war since then has been illegal because Congress must declare war? And, and World War II was the last war that Congress declared. Every mm-hmm. war since then that we've been involved in has been highly illegal. Um, I make no bones about that position. I, I am not in favor of any of this nonsense going on. Um, so, but, but there's, so, so it was a legal and declared war. Um, and it was the last legitimate war that we were involved in, and there was a lot of heroic things going on from our men. And and I think that makes for an interesting time in history to tell dramatic stories about. Uh, there there are two films coming out, one of, of which we'll get to in a minute, that have to do with World War II this year. Um, and it seems like there may have been another one earlier this year, wasn't there? Um, the the, the uh, George Clooney film. Was that this year or the year before? I don't remember. I don't remember either. Sorry. Anyway, uh, so I'll it's definitely, it I think, an interesting time in history to uh, tell stories about. And I think that uh, that's, that's kind of when, when you look for a war hero picture uh, to make, that's kind of where you go. So, Yeah, that was earlier this year, The Monuments Man. That yes, was The Monuments Man. Yes, yes, it was terrible. <laughs> Unfortunately, I wanted it to be good and it was terrible. So. Well, speaking of Angelina Jolie and the war movies, like you brought up, there is the other one called Fury starring Brad Pitt. If you think it can't get worse, it can, and it will. The dying's not done, the killing's not done. I promised my crew a long time ago I'd keep them alive. I was afraid you were dead. Where's the rest of third platoon? We're it. Sergeant Collier, I'm your new assistant driver. Thanks, school. That's home. Never even seen the inside of a tank. You will. I started this war killing Germans in Africa. Now I'm killing Germans in Germany. Been with these fine gentlemen for years. These troops get by you. We're all dead in the water. All we got is you. Also, rated R, and yes. also about World War. War. Uh, was it World War Two? Yes, it is. It is about World War Two. Um, I I don't know. The, the, I couldn't find the version of the trailer that I saw in the theater. Uh, this one will be fine. Really? Um, yeah, the one the one in the trailer I couldn't find it anywhere online, so it hasn't been released online yet. Um, it, it looks a bit violent and warish to me. It looks like man chest beating kind of film, which is fine. <laughs> it's just not my kind of thing. Yeah, um, a little bit like Saving Private Ryan without Ryan in the yeah, movie. Yeah. Um. You know, it's one of those odds against the hero as they, you know, the, the few, the poor few, the, the, you know, against it's the a many. lost cause for sure. And we're yeah. all going to die. So yeah. we might as well go out in a blaze of glory, people. Right. Exactly. That, that, it's not really my thing. Remember but, Sparta. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Did you did you find anything in this film you were looking forward to? It's funny to me that they don't seem to have all that much fury. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It also has uh, Shia LaBeouf. So, no, not really interested. <laughs> oh, come on. You <laughs> cut him a little slack. Nope, I cut him no slack whatsoever. I mean, in the hands of any proper, decent director, you never know what an actor can sometimes accidentally do. They can. I know uh, what this one can do, things. and it's not much. <laughs> <laughs> well, even Brad Pitt came from, um, you know, a very dark past. Yeah, So I suppose. You know, he actually got some early credits in TV shows. Uh, one of them was 20, 21 Jump Street, and he was listed in the credits as Bradley Cooper. Or no, Brad, sorry. Bradley no, Cooper, Bradley. that's an entirely yeah. different actor. Not the, that Brad. Yeah, he was Bradley Pitt, and uh, that cracks me up. Yeah, he had like a huge hairdo. Weird. 
Yeah. <laughs> really? He's like, he's oh, yeah. Shaved like huge days. 80s hair. You know, big, blonde, bushy, <laughs> beach bum hair. Hang on. I got to Google this. <laughs> Brad Pitt 80s hair. <laughs> I don't know if that's what I would have searched. Uh, let's see what we got here. Oh, my goodness. He has uh, he has very long... Uh, oh, he has a, uh, a, a mullet in this picture. <laughs> uh, a little bit of Google fun. There you go. Uh, yeah, I'm not really looking forward to this film, but it was a trailer that I saw, so I talked about it. <laughs> are you, you are go. you looking forward to it more than I am or anything? You know, I'm you know, I'm just not really into war movies. I can handle about one or two a year, and we already had the Monuments Men, which I, was a pleasure a pleasurable experience because it dealt with something that we haven't seen in a war movie before. Even though it wasn't the most amazing story, it was still worth making, and it was something I was impressed by because they, you know, shed light on something that you don't normally see in history books. Yeah, here's here's my thing with war movies. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of war movies either, but I like a good war movie, and the problem with most war movies is that they tend to glorify war. And And here's the thing. War is hell. And I don't say that as a curse word. I say that as war is hell. You don't... If, if war is not being portrayed as hell on earth, then... They're doing it wrong, and I'm not interested. Well, are they glorifying war, or, or are they glorifying honor and courage? There's a fine line there, and I think yeah. that most people blur those lines, and I don't like those lines being blurred. Um, I, I don't like that at all. Yeah, I do think I, I think that the audience can come away with the wrong impression for for sure. And the, another thing too is that in America, for a lot of the people that like to count themselves as patriotic. They want to mix their emotions uh, towards the military with war as well. Mm. Like, why do you have a strong and healthy military unless you have war? You don't need the military unless you have war. And so the military offers a lot of grown men the chance to show their honor, to show their character. And so for several generations of Americans, (laughs) people appreciate the military for what it has done. Like, it's the silver lining of war that it allows men to have great stories to tell their children and grandchildren. You're going to get me in political trouble, Joe. (laughs) I'm just saying, I'm saying this is how people view it. You asked the question. I know. I know. I've, I've never understood how sending our boys to war is the most honoring thing we can do. And, 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 and sending them off either to, to kill people or to get killed. Like I'd rather avoid that. Sure. I'm glad they're there in times when we need them. But I'd, I've never understood how sending our boys off to war was ever a really good thing that we should celebrate. So, interesting. Anyway, I told you you're gonna get. Well, me you definitely trouble. have strong feelings about war, and I won't go into my own. But uh, <laughs> let me just say that I think the last time that oh, never mind. <laughs> no, go ahead, go ahead. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. I, I remember. I I don't have very strong opinions because I I don't like keep up with the the, the times, and I I studied them back in school, but it's been a long time, and and when I made up my opinions. My thoughts were that basically the last time that we had a legal just cause for war predated the Civil War. Um, I, I don't think we've had a, a fairly decent legal and honorable war since before Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, I, I, that, I would that's, quibble that's with That's my that. take on it. And again, though, I'm not going to be staunch about it. It's yeah. not like it's going to kill me one way or the other. Um, it's not my passion. <laughs> we do not. We do not want to get into the politics of the Civil War. Which I think sure. you and I would probably agree on, but I don't think anybody else listening to the podcast would, so we'll move on. If they okay. want to know what we thought about that, they can just go back and watch the, or listen to the podcast episode where we reviewed Lincoln. 
Yes. <laughs> so speaking of historical things that are being messed up and ruined, uh, we should talk about vampires because that's the hot thing to talk Why about. Why not, days. TJ? Because yes. we just seem to be talking about everything tonight. <laughs> Particularly Dracula. My father was a great man. A hero, so they say. Sometimes the world doesn't need another hero. Sometimes what it needs is a monster. This is uh, the movie Dracula Untold. Uh, it is rated PG-13 for intense sequences of warfare, vampire attacks, disturbing images, and some sensuality. It is in theaters October the 10th. I think this film looks terrible. Absolutely. I totally agree. Okay, we can move on. <laughs> yep, let's do it. <laughs> I really, I, I mean, I don't know what else to say. It just looks awful. I just, well, it, 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 what is uh, What was that um, movie called, like, um, uh, Kingdom Come or something like that? I have that came no out idea. A couple of years ago with, uh, oh, Orlando Bloom. He was starring in it. And uh, Heaven, uh, uh, Heaven on Earth or Kingdom something. It was something like that. And it was a medieval time, times movie and uh, Orlando Bloom starred in it. And th- this movie reminded me of that only with Dracula in it. And then like, it was like, what? What the heck is going on? And the, the, they're glorifying Dracula and making him a war hero. Oh, and yeah. Then, and then doing a bunch of crazy 300 t- type movie stuff in Ugh, it. It's nonsense. It's all over the place. It, 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 it's utter nonsense. It really is. It's, it's like, let's take uh, all the violence that you have imagined that they could come up with from Game of Thrones that they've never dared to do and throw it into a medieval story. And uh, let's say that the the protagonist here, because he becomes a vampire, is actually Dracula. Like, what the heck, dude? Oh, man. There, there's nothing Dracula about this. Nothing Except at all. they arbitrarily decided to make the guy Dracula. It's yes. stupid. Well, it's weird because they're like the reason we're even talking about this is because it, it you know, I did watch it and they're pushing it like it's the next big thing. Like it's it's ooh, it's you know, Dracula Untold and like it's everywhere. And like I'm here to tell you this movie is going to be terrible. Well, that's not gonna stop a lot of people. I have no intention of seeing this film. A lot of people like vampires for vampire's sake and they they'll find any excuse you know what to I like, Joe? doctor up some new vampire story. You know what I like? I like good stories. <laughs> and this is not going to be a good so. story. This is not going to be a good story. I, not, I, I, not a shred of it. This is market as claim chowder if you want, but it is uh, not going uh, to be a good story. Even down to this fact, Dracula is like supposed to be a war hero. He's like a general or something. And his armor, it's 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 crazily elaborate. It's embossed and it's got like, you know, a very artistic embossment and colors on it. And the flares on it are dragons. It looks like he's wearing a uh, samurai outfit, and but he's he's Dracula, and he's so he's not Asian at all. It's like what the heck is going on? It's, it's just a big mashup, and they don't care what they throw into it. It's seriously stupid. It, it just annoys the heck out of me. Yeah, it's <laughs> dumb. All right, I'm ready to move on. Yeah, that's it. That's all the news and items of interest we have to talk about. So we should move on to our review of a walk among the tombstones. I was off duty one day in this bar in Washington Heights. Where cops didn't have to pay for their drinks. And a couple of guys came in to rob the place. Chased them into the street, shot two dead. 
or the third one in the leg. Why aren't you a cop no more? You see, one shot, well, the bullet took a bad hop. So you're a private detective? Unlicensed. I do favors for people. In return, they give me gifts. So, what can I do for you? Someone's kidnapped my wife. movie was released on September the 19th, 2014. It had a budget of $28 million. Opening weekend, it brought in $12.7 million. And thus far, uh, it's only been released domestically, and it is up to $13.7 million. Uh, Rotten, Tomatoes critical, <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes critical acclaim uh, says that a walk among the tombstones didn't entirely transcend its genre cliches, but it does offer Liam Neeson one of his more compelling roles in recent mem- memory, and that's often enough. The director was Scott Frank, uh, who wrote the screenplay, and Lawrence Block apparently wrote the novel that the film is based on. Uh, the, the the film's big claim to fame, in my opinion, is is that it stars Liam Neeson as Matt Scudder. Uh, he is obviously famous for things like Schindler's List, where he played Oscar Schindler, Rob Roy, Star Wars Episode One, where he played the uh, only Jedi that was any good in that movie, uh, Qui-Gon Jinn. Uh, Batman Begins, he was Henry Ducard. Uh, Chronicles of Narnia, he played Aslan's voice. Uh, in, of course, the Taken series, he's Brian Mills. He's been in films like The Grey, The Wrath of Titans, where he played Zeus nonstop. Uh, the Lego movie, where he was bad cop and good cop and paw cop. Uh, so he's been in a lot of stuff, right? He's pretty famous, and so that's this movie's claim to fame. Uh, also stars Dan Stevens, David Harbour, Astro, Adam David Thompson, Danielle Rose Russell, and Sebastian Roche. Roche? Uh, whatever. Uh, composer was Carlos Rafael Rivera. Do you have anything particularly you want to say about the score? I have nothing. Uh, no, it, it, it was effective. Mm, it was no, definitely I, creepy when I, it needed to be. I didn't really like the score. <laughs> oh, really? No, I, I felt like it was underscored. Like there was moments when it should have been scored. Oh, but that that's to be expected from a crime mm. drama and yeah, a thriller. I, I did like it that it was paced well with scenes when they just needed to carry a very long sequence where the people were on foot and following each other and suspensefully tracking some kind of lead. Mm. There was a couple of moments I appreciated the score for that, but it was basically just a prop for the movie. It's not going right. to work on its own for a, a listen on its own. No, for sure not. I will never listen to the soundtrack again. <laughs> All right. So for the storyline, Matt Scudder is a former cop, now a private eye. He is asked by a drug dealer to find the men who kidnapped his wife. It seems like they killed her even after he paid them, and Scudder refuses to work with the drug dealers. But the man later goes to see him and tells him how his wife was killed, and Scudder takes the job. He does some research and thinks that the men he is looking for have done this more than once, and that everyone they grabbed, uh, sorry, and that everyone they grabbed is connected to one drug dealer or another. He's about to give up when he. Uh, when they grab another girl and Scudder tries to save her life and put an end to a ring of serial killings. All right, Joe. This All right. Well, uh, TJ, this is a can of worms, but at the same time, it feels like, uh, what to think about a thriller like this. And I feel, I'm actually really glad we're going to talk about this kind of movie because it's been a while since we talked about a CD ish, uh, thriller. It has been a little while. Uh, I guess it's this time of year, you know? They like to come out around Halloween or something. And I, I think there was one with Hugh Grant 
was it Hugh Grant? Who am I thinking of? The guy who played Wolverine? He's Grant, right? Uh, Hugh Jackman? Thanks. No. Yeah, very different Hugh. Yeah, I was going to say Hugh Grant. Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen him in a thriller. So, yeah, Hugh Jackman was in that um, pretty dark uh, thriller about a year ago. Yeah, it did It did remind me of that a little bit. I'm, I'm looking up the name of it right now. I can't believe I've forgotten. Um, and I liked that film a lot more than this one. Uh, Hugh Jackman. Let's see what the name of that film was. Um, Prisoners. And then, you know, a few years ago, we had Taken, which did the right things for some people. And I don't know. Uh, in general, going way back, let's say, if you want to go farther back, there was movies like Shooter with Mark Wahlberg. And I felt pretty good about that one. It seems like all these stars have a a serial killer thriller story that they're in every now and then, or have been anyway. Uh, I know Bruce Willis has, and uh, what's his name? Mel Gibson did one even a few years ago that sure. was halfway decent, uh, but it fell under the radar as well. Um, and my initial impression of this movie, TJ, was that it was going to be a spinoff of the Taken franchise. But I had a hard time believing why they would do that because Liam Neeson was really tired of the character from Taken and it didn't seem like him to want to go off and create uh, another franchise with a similar style private eye. I'm not sure where you got that because this film never felt like anything like Taken to me. No, and, it didn't. No, no, no. My, I'm, say, I'm talking about my initial impression of the film when I okay. just heard about it. You know, like, what, what, did, what did you think of it when you heard about the movie and you saw the trailer? I mean, I was it seemed into- like it was Taken made dark you know no i never got that from this film i, I was interested in the film uh I, I i just never got the taken vibe from it i i, I really? it, it definitely felt like a, a more um a gritty and dark and and this guy he's he's not on a necessarily a good path and he you know we're, we're taken is very different in that regard it was like taken taken up a notch it was mm. hey i'm a private eye and i'm dark and broody and you know i i tell the world i don't give a blank and then <laughs> and then the guy comes to him and says guess what they kept not to my wife well that sounds familiar i'm gonna find those jerks guess what on the trailer they show liam neeson on the phone talking to the ki- the kidnappers you know in that moment when you're expecting him to say i don't, I don't know, know who, you, who are, you are but i will but find if you but if you do X, Y, and Z, I will find you, and I will make your life miserable. No, no, I will find you, and I will kill you. That's the. But my, but my point is, it's like they basically did the exact same thing in the trailer. They showed that eh, in the trailer, I guess. So I, I felt I like that they were trying to, you know, remind you of it. I guess. Um. So there's there's definitely some things to appreciate about this film. Uh, I'm, I'm afraid, oh, you think so? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm afraid my dislikes will weigh out, outweigh my likes, and I feel like you might be the opposite, swing the opposite. But um, I, I I do think this film has some things to offer in its stylistic choices. Um, it it uh, it has a very kind of a uh, how would you say. Uh, a, a kind of an indie flavor almost. Uh, it's not an indie film. The budget is a bigger than an indie film budget, but it's not. It's not a big boy film. It's. It's you know. It's not like a, a, a you know a hundred million dollar film or anything. As I mentioned, the budget is uh, what did I say twenty eight million. So it's kind of in between, and and the flavor of it is definitely more indie. And and there's something about that that's that's appealing. I think. Uh, obviously, Liam Neeson is a huge draw on this film, and he does he does very well with with the role that he's he's given. Um, and I really appreciated uh, the um, Astro character, TJ, by the way, <laughs> is his name. Uh, I thought that was funny. He was he was in uh, Earth to Echo, if you if you recall. Yep. Uh, you you were on our podcast, but this is before you came back officially. But you were on the podcast talking about Earth to Echo, right? Right. Yeah, I was. Yeah. 
Uh, so I don't know if you recognized him or not. Um, I recognized him, but I didn't know where and why. Yeah. But yeah, he turned out to be an okay actor. He did a good performance. Yeah, he was a tad annoying on occasion. And, and I'm not saying that he was a bad actor and he was annoying. I'm saying like that was his character and that's what it called for. And uh, he did well with it. Um, so yeah, I, I appreciated that, uh, uh, you know, those things about the film. Don't cut the boy any slack. No, I'm not. All right. What slack did I cut him? No, nothing. Okay. I'm just saying, <laughs> you, you, you're, never mind. Okay. Well, Joe, you, you have some things you probably like about this film. Uh, I had a few things. Um, obviously, Matthew Scudder played by Liam Neeson's character as a character. Uh, you know, the thing about uh, Liam Neeson is that he is one of these um, fairly decent actors, and I like him as an actor in most any kind of film he's in. But what I notice about Liam that's a little bit different from other actors is that he is like an empty vessel that is filled up by the character that he becomes. Sure. And he plays some phenomenal characters that I haven't seen pulled off by leading men in uh, their acting careers over the last few decades. Like, if you actually go back and paid attention to Liam Neeson consistently, he more often than not gets uh, stereotyped roles. So for a while there... He was mostly one form of a mentor or another. Mm-hmm. And so he was Qui-Gon. He was Aslan. He was the mentor for Batman that, woo, with a twist, he became the bad guy. You know, right. But he was one way or another. He was a mentor. And it seemed like that was all the people wanted to take him for. And then after that, he became the action hero. So with things like Taken, there was Taken, then Taken 2. And they're already talking about what? Taken 3 now. Yeah. Taken but two, then there was also that other movie that he was in called Unknown, and it largely fell under the radar, and most people didn't care about it. But it again, was, hey, it was, unknown. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing was is that Liam Neeson often gets stereotyped, and he just kind of plays along. But for the most part, he's a good actor in whatever kind of role he's got. Um, so I noticed, I don't really want to stress his performance. I'll let you talk about that if you care to. But what I wanted to say was that I, I, I kind of found a lot of interest in his character, Matthew Scudder. As a character... A, I found him very interesting. He was iconic for a crime drama lead. He's got his true grit. He wrestles with moral dilemmas and it isn't, he isn't in it for revenge. Like we often see in movies, unlike Bruce Wayne or unlike um, even a little bit of the character from taken or I'm thinking of several other man uh, protagonists in action films these days. They're all in it for the revenge. Well, I, I do have some things to say about the character. And, 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 and the thing that I'll say is that Liam Neeson is fantastic. He always is fantastic. Even in movies that I don't like, he's fantastic, right? Taken 2, please take it back. Um, Even he, in Taken's 1 and 2. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, he does, you know, fantastic. Um, unfortunately, I didn't find much about his character to like. His character was kind of a uh, – didn't have any substance. Like he, he's just sort of there and he's just sort of, oh, this thing is thrown in his lap and I guess he'll investigate it and whatever. And there wasn't a lot of character development for him really. Um, I, I found him to be somewhat lacking and that's a scripting problem. That's not an acting problem. So, um, And did you notice that uh, – hmm – what am I thinking? Oh, yeah, yeah. Going back to Matthew, um, one of the things that kind of struck me as uh, interesting was that how he paralleled Bruce Wayne just a little bit, that he's a crime fri- fighter. They have this uh, backdrop of the cemetery at times, you know, because Bruce Wayne often visits the, you know, the cemetery for oddball reasons. And then they battle it out at the cemetery and whatever. They both fight psychotic people. 
mm. um, more than one of them. And uh, one of these psychotics is very, is prone to smiling. And then he's got an apprentice who is just some kid off the street who's lost his parents, who admires crime fighters and wants to join uh, the main dude's crusade. And so uh, there, there's a couple of parallels there with Bruce Wayne's character I found interesting. Joe, you just blew my mind. This is the story of Batman. But it's like it's like the story of Batman. If if you could strip away all aspects of superheroes and play it down to just this is a guy in New York City that is trying to fight crime as a private investigator, and so it's somewhere between Sam Spade and uh, Bruce Wayne. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. I, I, on another note, I admired the times that the story follows in the footsteps of the classic crime dramas. Uh, the, the movie harkens to, you know, it, Matt and TJ discuss detective novels, characters, and uh, what makes them iconic. This movie strikes the right balance of paying homage, then moving on. When they bring them up, they, they don't linger on them too long to make them a, a beat dead horse of a, of a reference. And uh, they do things with a story that the classics wouldn't have dared to do for their different times. Yeah. So um, there was some give and take there, and which was um, cle- cleverly executed. What did you think about that? Are you familiar with stories like the Maltese Falcon? No, see, I'm not. So maybe I don't have the correct frame of reference to judge. Ah, uh, you're so uncultured. But I yeah, know. those are good movies with um, Humphrey Gobart. Oh, Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> Humphrey Gobart. <laughs> Yeah, sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm very uncultured. I'm, I ple- I apologize. Please forgive me. I forgive you, sir. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, I really don't have a lot to add in terms well, of things. I, I that have I a few more thoughts. I mean, I don't want to just, you know, berate the film. I'm afraid that we're going to just berate the film. I really want to talk about the gray area, which is more so um, my problem with it is not so much my dislikes as I have a problem with the gray area of the movie. But before we get to that, I wanted to talk about a few of the general observations. Yeah, let's do it. Um, first of all, um, first of all, let's go back to the production qualities. A movie can only be as good as its script, producer, and director. And time and again, a good concept left in the wrong hands is ruined. Of course. So I'm bringing this up because a walk among the tombstones is a great example of a crime thriller and what it can be for this generation of film. If it's put in the right hands, if it's, it's given the right director, the right producers and the, in the right script. You think so, huh? Yeah. I mean like it's, it's still stuck by, it's still trapped by its genre. Um, and so it's not trying to reinvent the genre and it's trying to be faithful to the book to some degree. And the novel is very self-aware as well. So it's trying to remain true to what the audience and the readers would have expected from uh, from crime dramas. Mm. And to a degree, I think that it faithfully executed upon that and did a better job than other films I have seen. I've seen other films with Mark Wahlberg and Russell Crowe and Mel Gibson and the like, where it seemed like they were trying to strike the same chords, but they just don't work. And it was not so much the actor's fault. They're just trying to play the parts. It's really the director, the producers, and the script. And uh, if those don't work, you don't got a good film. Yeah, I mean, that, that's certainly true. I can agree with that. And, for, and so for what it's worth, I feel like those things were mostly in line for this film. 
Um, another thing was, um, did you notice how oftentimes in the movie they kept referring to things that were dating it in the nineties? Oh yeah, no, it was definitely a, a film it was, set in the nineties. Yeah, it came up on the screen even several times. They they talk about Y two K and yeah, they showed that Nolan Ryan Nolan Ryan is uh, in the newspapers and stuff like that. Well, I, I was going to point out that was one of the things that this, this film had almost no humor. The only humor had to do with Y two K. I thought that was and I, I thought it was great. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Well, how large was your audience? Uh, there were like maybe ten of us. Okay, there was probably about um fifty of us. And there was this one couple that kept laughing at the wry humor that nobody else in the audience was catching. I said they didn't catch a lot of humor. Yeah, and I I wouldn't have found it very funny either, except this one couple kept on finding the humor in like the oddest places. But then I had to admit, like, once I heard them laughing, I realized, you know what? There is a way to view that as kind of funny. Mm. Um, I think the audience uh, definitely changed the energy in the room for this film because everybody else was absolutely quiet. And then there, there was this one couple that kept laughing. And I was like, you know what? They're they're onto something here. I think that that is a little bit funny. Uh, things that were going on here and there, but they were not like intentional bold face, you know, bits of humor. It was more like if you're smart enough to keep up with what the story is suggesting and what it's alluding to, you'll catch a cookie there, and that cookie is kind of funny, you know. I suppose. <laughs> but like I said, you know, that couple was on to them much faster than I was, and I, <laughs> I was always waiting for their cues. Yeah. Um, one other observation, uh, kind of getting into our dislikes here as well. Um, it's difficult for me to articulate my appreciation for such a creepy, grisly movie because I don't want to condone or praise a film that takes lightly the behavior of criminals and murderers. Sure. No, that's, that's yeah. definitely a problem. Right. And that's one of the things about crime drama as a whole in this era. You can go back to the old, uh, you know, uh, you know, the icons like Sam Spade again with the Maltese Falcon. And you could watch that all day long with your kids. And there's no comparison between movies like that one and this one. Uh, Here is a protagonist that's made the difficult choice to help stop murderers that are preying upon the families of drug traffickers. And that alone is a gray area before you even start to execute on that idea and to watch that movie. And because of the very serious nature of the film and some dark thoughts it treads, I think you have to be a very discerning audience before you even consider watching this film if you want, uh, basically, to not walk out of the theater uh, feeling like you need a shower, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it, well, I mean, it definitely operates in some moral gray areas for sure. And I definitely think that a film like this could genuinely disturb some people. I think it genuinely disturbed me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you want to talk about some of the other complaints or do you want to now talk about the gray area at large? Um, well, I mean, I think the gray area is a good place to, to go. And I think that actually this general thought that I had written down will, will kind of play into that. Um, I, there was a strange lack of police in this film. Uh, like the, just like there were situations in which they would have shown up, whether you called them or not, there's just no avoiding them and they just didn't show up. And like this film that kind of speaks to the gray area this film wants to operate in, like, like, well, the police aren't going to do the job, so we're going to do it and we're going to do it in this way. And, and, you know, or specifically, uh, Brian Mills, I'm sorry, not Brian Mills, (laughs) uh, Scudder is going to do it. 
And it just, yeah, it's, it's a very gray area. Like, you know, and he's, he's making unilateral decisions and I, I don't know. I think you may have more to say about this, but cause you, you, you know, I, I, that's really all I have to say about the gray area is just that it's there and it's disturbing a little bit. Hmm. Well, the, I, I hadn't noticed that and you're right. That is a good observation. I think that the film is clearly trying to depict the world in a very dark light. It feels like the whole film happened at night, but even though it didn't, right? Uh, everything is dank. And uh, really, you know how you go to the theme park, what you're expecting to find are thrills for getting on a very fast ride that's going up and down and up and down. You know, it's going to be some twists and turns, and they want to give you that feel where you have butterflies in your stomach and you might do some backward flips and we'll see how much we can jostle you around at 60 miles an hour. <laughs> right. Um, you know what to expect from those kinds of thrills. And for this movie, the thrills are in a different place. The thrills are in a dark area. Um, the, not all thrillers do this, but you can certainly understand where they're coming from and why it turned out this way. To make this film dark, mysterious, and uncomfortable to the point of shock and awe value, there is a lot of violence. And it's sprinkled throughout. It's talked about. It's seen, uh, It's sh- uh, happening off screen. It's happening in the shadows. There's grisly body parts and bags. Oh, and yes. you see a lot of blood. And then beyond that, they uh, steadily show you more and more of the activity of the serial killers themselves yes. until you see them on screen for large chunks of time. And they play out a lot of violence. But they also go so far as to actually let you sometimes see the world and the events unfolding from the points of view of the killers. And it's one of those things where um, I don't know if our audience has this fresh on their mind, but it's always bugged me about Disney's Aladdin. And I know this, you might think, where is Joe going with this? But no, I'm wondering that me. right now. Um, I think that if you go back and you refresh your memory with Disney's Aladdin, what you'll notice is that there is a lot of comedy all throughout from characters like Aladdin, as well as the carpet, the monkey, and the parrot, and most certainly the genie. But then there's also a lot of comedy to be had simply from the bad guy, Jafar. And the thing about Jafar was that pretty much everything he did was awful. And he was a bad guy. But because they made him very approachable with all of his jokes, Mm -hmm. and because he was charming in a bad guy sort of way, there's sort of a gray area there where... I could see some of the audience actually rooting for the bad guy because they found him on some wavelength actually likable. And, and there's some part of you that actually think thinks that he's kind of likable. And because he is I so never crafty found him likeable, that say. you think there's something desirable about this guy. And, and at the end, you know he has to be defeated and wiped out because he's Jafar and he is the bad guy in a Disney mu- movie. So he is going to be defeated. Yeah. Um, so all, uh, well, all is well that ends well. Um, so, they so say- what happens is there's this vicarious experience where you get to relate to the villain. And so long as in the end, the villain is defeated, it's okay to have that vicarious experience. And that happened 
in this movie as well, where you are given vicarious experiences where you are given the opportunity to see the situations unfolding for the serial killers, how they see the events unfolding and what they're enjoying from it and what they're getting from it. And it's something I don't want to experience. I don't want that vicarious experience. Yeah, me either. And so, you, but would you agree? Do you do you see what I'm talking about? I do. I don't know if I would have gone to the Jafar illustration, but I do. Because I I'm just trying to find a, a great, uh, a relatable example. You know, it, it's uh, it's really apparent to me from the Aladdin. As long as you actually stop to think about it, I mean, it's it's not always apparent, and but that's one that most audiences have seen. Yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying. For for me, I mean, I, I, it was never Jafar, so I just wouldn't have been able to go there. For you, obviously, that was a, a thing. Uh, but 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 what you're saying definitely rings true, and it, and that, that speaks to some very big dislikes that I have of this film. And one of the things I wrote down is that it felt extremely ex- exploitative. Uh, I, I don't know if that's a word or not, but it was ex- exploiting um, the the torture and the torment of of the um, victims for the sake of the audience so that, as you say, they could live like live that vicariously in a thrill. I mean, for me, I was cringing and I, I don't know how the rest of the audience felt. And, and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's what you're supposed to feel, but I, it still felt like it was exploiting that aspect. Uh, it seemed unnecessarily grisly and, and it, it just, it really just like, Oh man, really? Do, you, do we have to do that? I, I mean, I, I know that maybe I'm just naive or not, you know, whatever. And I, well, what it is is uh, the movie's not, doing anything that's never been done before no no not at all the, the this these kinds of things have been tread before with sure movies or in a subgenre called torture porn and this movie is <laughs> just dabbling with it very lightly yes and with a couple of brush strokes of it here and there but it keeps on creeping into the movie to i don't know make the the, the serial killers more tantalizing for sure, yeah, and and that's that's a major issue that I, I take with this film. Um, I, I don't feel like it needed to do that. Um, I feel like it could have been a thriller, and it still could have been rated R, but not in a way that was that was exploiting that as you as you say torture porn so much. Like uh, you know, we we get it; these guys are are sick and and twisted. But come on, we didn't need to to go there. I don't think. Yeah. And so that's what's been the most disturbing about the film in reflecting on it. Um, I honestly felt like it was um, m- much more disturbing than most films I've seen. It's it's on the top three. Yes. And, and, and that's not to say that there aren't worse films. There's lots of worse films, y'all, but I'm not interested in seeing them. No, and not I, me I, I've quickly identified them by... The sound, the name of their t- movie titles, you know, a quick check on Rotten Tomatoes, and sometimes catching a trailer, and I, I don't enjoy those kinds of films. And so the real reason I, I took, I gave this film a chance was that it was starring Liam Neeson, and it seemed to be more about the action than anything else. And then I come to see the movie, I think that in, in reflection on it. I have I still have very mixed feelings about this movie, TJ, because part of me wonders now, would I have even watched the film if I knew what it was about? Because I just don't like to fill my mind up with the thoughts about stories like these. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it was worth seeing. Um, I, I don't know that I would see it knowing what I know now, but I, I, I don't like to look at movies that way. 
Um, but, but yeah, it was very, it was disturbing in a way, like there's plenty of disturbing movies and we've reviewed probably more disturbing movies on the movie by podcast in a way, but in some way this was just like so disturbing on a different level. Like, yeah, like, like ordinarily the violence in movies that we have covered has not gone to this level. It, it was it was Cause, the cause depths again, of the violence that bother is bothersome. It was the like because we reviewed violent movies, you know, we reviewed war movies. I mean, we've seen blood and guts and gore, but this was like you know the the guys they're they're taking their their uh their pleasure in in you know torturing this. For instance, this poor girl where they tell her, you know, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but they basically say. Uh, I get one and you get one and you choose and then I'm going to take this really thin wire and I'm going to cut you know and then the, the camera cuts away but then you hear this awful terrible screaming like it was it was rough <laughs> it was very rough yeah there was there was definitely more than one of those kinds of moments too yo oh, yes you know torture mutilating you know uh raping mm. all, all that stuff like like we get it these guys are deeply disturbed they're they're deeply wicked and they need to be taken out we get that mm. you know don't don't keep showing it to us it, it felt gratuitous it felt it felt like we're doing this because we know that's what you came to this movie to see, or we think that's what you came to this movie to see. And so we're going to push that boundary and push that envelope. And it, it's, it's disturbing that the, the fact that they thought that we wanted it to be that disturbing is more disturbing. Mm-hmm. So, so one other dislike, um, that's not so major compared to the, the over, you know, shadowing gray area is that, a. Uh, the, there was something worth mentioning, none, even though it was just—I don't know how I feel about this, but it almost sounds like a political problem. But here it is: there is a brief moment when Matt is mentoring TJ about the use of a Beretta. Yes, yes. About halfway through the film, and TJ is this kid that's really wet behind the ears. So Matt takes a minute to discourage TJ from keeping the gun. He's pinched from some other teenagers, and. The effort that went into the kids don't do guns message was about as shallow and simple minded as any commercial saying kids only you can prevent forest fires. That's right. Forest fires are entirely your fault and you need to prevent them. <laughs> yeah. And so the, the scene felt awkwardly placed in a film that otherwise didn't take rabbit trails for such reasons. Mm. And this well, movie mm, brings up mm. lots of. <laughs> really you, you i have some major others. issues with this film in this way uh there are two things this is one of them but this is a much less pushy than the one that i have a complaint about but i completely agree with you like this film's message about gun safety is is or, or you know don't you know guns kill people you know you might as well just take it and blow your brains out right now and get it over with sort of thing very simplistic um I, I, yeah we're gonna get so much email <laughs> well, well I, I think you're misunderstanding me i i i i that's my problem was I didn't like the position they took with the scene for one. It was poorly executed. And two, I think that it's a mixed message because the movie loves to revel in what you can do with guns and yes. for its entertainment value. We get to see what they can do with the guns. And obviously lawmen need to have guns. The bad guys have guns. And you know, if more uh, citizens had guns, people, there would be less victims because there are ultimately less crimes Okay, uh, this is one of my political soapboxes. So much trouble for this. Yeah, I know. Um, but so what? Email can't kill me. Um, <laughs> basically, I, I live in the state of Kennesaw, Georgia, <clears throat> and uh, you know, not everybody knows this, but if you happen to follow anything about gun owners and gun rights and 
you know, self-defense and all that stuff. Uh, what you might know from reading the news is that Kennesaw, uh, Kennesaw, the city, is one of the very rare cities in the entire country that requires all citizens to own a gun. Interesting. And um, as such, the news always wants to know. The media wants to know. This, you know, the the statistic, you know, charters want to know. How does that affect crime? Oh, I already know. Well, yeah, we we practically have none. I mean, and I'm not saying that everybody is packing heat and I don't see citizens with, you know, guns strapped on and there aren't a bunch of, you know, rednecks and weirdos with T-shirts saying, you know, just, you know, just push my buttons, man, you know, or something weird, you know, like that. I don't see anybody, you know, daring to be a hero in the gas stations, but we. (coughs) You okay? You gonna make it? Yeah, I'm okay. I just getting over a cold. Oh, my. (coughs) But, uh. You know, our people are some of the safest because the citizens are, you know, expected to take that uh, law and apply it. So it sends a message to people who would like to rob citizens of Kennesaw that uh, if they bother people around here, there's a good chance that they're going to get uh, shot. Absolutely, (laughs) yeah. It discourages a lot of crime. It's a major deterrent. Yeah, I can I can go to I can go rob somebody that's not armed or I can rob this person that's armed. Which do you think I'm going to do? Right. So if you know that all the other neighboring cities don't have such laws and Kennesaw does, well, which city would you rather go, you know, commit a crime in? Well, Joe, now that we're on every government watch list in the world and uh, we've lost all of our listeners, can we move on? Oh, <laughs> uh-huh. OK, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, so yeah, I, I do agree with you though. I thought that that, that scene was strangely placed. Uh, it, it it was just sort of like, oh, well, let's do this gun safety speech right here, and and just boom, and then, and then off to the next thing. It was very strange. I completely agree. But something that I thought that was indicative of the mindset of the filmmakers was much more the AA stuff. Um, what this is actually, I have a major problem with the ending of this film. What in the world was the recitation of the 12 steps of the AA charter that seemed to have nothing to do with what was going on in the end of the film? What in the world? I mean, first of all, I have I have some pretty deep problems with the AA in general. Um, I have no doubt that their intentions are good. But uh, what, TJ, for our audience, what is the AA? Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. All right. It is entirely the wrong approach to the problem, um, just, just like the gun safety thing. Uh, it, so, but but so this film actually feels a little bit like a big, uh, not a commercial because they don't really have commercials for the AA, I don't think. But but it feels like a big pump up for the AA, like this, you know, in some ways misplaced. It like it's just sort of thrown in there. Like he'll be in the middle of doing this thing, this crime investigative thing, and all of a sudden he's at an AA meeting that has nothing to do with anything. And then there's the whole recitation of the whole AA charter twelve step thing. As the end of the film is going on, kind of this voiceover, and it has nothing to do with anything. It's very strange. Uh, really? See, uh, I felt it kind of worked, but what were you thinking? What, what exactly was uh, awkward about it? You, you seem to explain that um, you're, you're saying that you don't like the AA's approach, 
But you're also saying you that's don't like how bit, it was approached in the film. Right. There's a little separate issue. I, you know, I'm going to have problems with it just because I don't like the AA. Well, I mean, there, there are things that we have problems with all over the earth. Right. So but, <laughs> we, but we in have problems with things that we saw in the, in the movie we, re, we reviewed last week. You know? Yeah, in, in particular. <laughs> and un, and we didn't bother to talk about those problems. Right, right. In particular, and unrelated to, to my lack of, of, uh, of, of good feelings and goodwill towards the AA, is just that it didn't seem what you know the recitation of those twelve steps didn't seem to have anything to do with what was going on. I didn't. I couldn't see it. Am I? Am I blind? I did actually. Um. I. I. I no. I. I. I liked it a lot. You need <sighs> to explain this to me. I couldn't. I couldn't put it together. Well, it wasn't the main subject material of the movie, but they were trying to. You know, it's one of those things that adds a little bit more character and dimension to the, the, the main character, Matthew Scudder. It's, it's sort of like Indiana Jones is actor, actually Dr. Jones, and he is a teacher back home when he is not uh, out crusading and nabbing you know archaeological digs. <clears throat> what you have with Matthew Scudder is that when he is off the clock, when he is not packing heat and carrying the badge and trying to save the world in you know, downtown New York City and shoot bad guys... When he's not the cop on duty, he's just an alcoholic. And that's kind of sad and depressing and terrible. Sure. And, and for his backstory, it's his, um, it's his personal and private life that screws up his active professional life, right? Sure. So, no, totally. I get that. That's not a yeah. problem. So, uh, you know, they developed that as his backstory, and I'm okay with it because they didn't try to... Uh, I can see what you're saying. It's like they overemphasized it and they dragged it into the limelight and right into the climax. But I don't think that they were using the AA to push the message of the AA necessarily. I think that they were trying to use it to express some of Matthew Scudder's personal values. Mm. And what Matthew had done is he had taken the, um, the, the those things that he had learned at AA meetings and was applying them to every area of his life. So for him, it was more about exercising self-control, being a decent citizen, and being a person that like knew how to relate better to the world. And what was funny is, is that the Alcoholics Anonymous program is the closest thing to community that we see in the entire film. Like There is no genuine, heartfelt, good outreach community in the city as we know it, apart from the Alcoholics Anonymous meetups. Like, every time that they portrayed the, that program, they, they, they show it positively. And its influence on Matthew has been positive. And it's probably the reason why Matthew befriends TJ is because of the difference that the AA has made in his life. And then when he is faced with very incredibly difficult circumstances at the climax of the film, he deals with them by applying the values of the AA to this other situation because they're good values to have in every area of life. And that's just how Matthew processes his situation. Does that make sense? Like I felt like it worked for me because by the time they started, you know, like you started hearing that woman reciting off the, the, uh, the 12 steps and stuff like that. Um, whatever it was if from the AA, it, it just worked because what they were saying wasn't about alcohol anymore. It was about how you live your life. 
And so it was sort of like, it was sort of like, uh, um, if you heard a Christian in a very difficult circumstance, uh, quoting a Bible passage from, you know, the book of Psalms, like, uh, though I, though I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You know, it's one of those kinds of things. They come from eight ball. Say what? Uh, Oh, I was just continuing the quote of the Psalm. (laughs) Psalm Yeah. yeah. Psalm 23. So it was one of those kinds of things. Um, that's why it worked, I think. And it actually didn't bug me. It just kind of flowed. I thought it was one of the more powerful things in the film. Okay. I mean, I I think I see where you're coming from. I completely disagree. It was very strange to me. But, yeah, I mean, I I think I see where you're coming from. Sure. Well, let me elaborate on a couple more issues that I took with the film. Sure. Um, I, I'm mostly wrapped up. Uh, I, I think I've settled up most issues. Okay. I felt like the film was resting on Liam Neeson's laurels. He's a vigilante with a gun, so what could go wrong? I mean, <laughs> sure. Uh, it felt like they they didn't. You're feel, right. The need to really completely develop the plot or his character because hey, it's Liam Neeson with a gun. It's all good. Um, and I found that a little bit troubling. Uh, just in general, like, come on, give us more of his character to dig into. I, I, I felt like his character was painted with very broad brushstrokes, like. Here's his thing. Here's his backstory. Now he's going to get criminals. Like I, I don't know. I, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'm I'm gathering you didn't feel that way, but that's the way I felt about it. Uh, no, I, I completely understand, uh, and I see where you're coming from, and and I think it's what everybody is expecting, and I I think that the movie even in some ways is a bit self aware about that. Mm. The film seems like, like oh, you noticed. God. Oftentimes, that more you know, more often than not, that it, it, it reminded me of Harrison Ford crime dramas. For that reason, did you ever see the the Fugitive? Oh, sure, I love that film. And in some ways, this movie kind of reminded me of the Fugitive. <laughs> not but at all. It, completely different <laughs> stories, but for the fact that it's very much closely centered around the star attractors, the, these actors that are the faces. They're going to get a lot of attention. You're going to see a lot of these faces. Let's give them more close-ups. Let's make them look more heroic and more interesting because you like the actors just that much. But there was much more story going on with with The the Fugitive, I I thought. I don't know. Um, (laughs) I I felt like um, the the film was a little bit aimless. It didn't really have a motive and no place to go and no point to make. Um, it lacked any real surprise or suspense. Most of the plot was telegraphed before it happened. Um, and what I mean is the film kind of had its legs cut out from under it. Like it would, particularly when they're like holding this reveal, like these, these villains are in the shadows, you never see their face. And you think, oh, it's building up to this big reveal. It's going to be this big thing. And then there's just sort of, yeah, the shadows kind of slide off their face in one scene. And you see them, it's like, that was a real letdown. What happened? And the whole film feels like that. Like every part of the plot is kind of telegraphed of what's coming next. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Again, I gather you didn't feel that way. Um, I don't feel very strongly one way or the other. Obviously, I, I like the movie The Fugitive a lot more. Uh, I like how it you know, told the story. I felt like The Fugitive could have been told in a very similar manner to a movie like this one. And it had been way creepy, and it would have been l- less likable to me. Mm. I felt like this movie could have been told more like The Fugitive. And yeah. like like you already pointed out, this movie doesn't introduce the cops whatsoever. So we don't know no. what. There was that one scene with the DEA, but that was it. 
<laughs> and that was a joke. It was a, it was yeah. it was awkwardly placed. Yeah. Like I mean, and, and for what it was worth, it wasn't as bad as the scene about uh, you know the kid using the gun. But it just came out of nowhere, and it seemed to make the point that they were trying to uh, redirect Matt and discourage him from working with drug dealers. Which seems to make my point that the film is aimless and has no point because, like, they just threw this scene in there, like the scene where he just meets up with the you know the DEA agents, capture him. It serves no purpose to the greater plot; has nothing to do at all with anything. They capture him, they question him. Oh, he's got nothing, no information. They throw him out, and everything goes on as before, and they never show up again. It's just very strange. Um. Mm. The, the last thing that I uh, – criticism that I have for this film is that the filmmaking technique is a very odd assortment of some uh, like art house, art house styling, close-up, shaky cam, camera panning off to nothing of significance, jump cuts, and a jumble of other things. There doesn't seem to be any one style or thread of visual filmmaking technique to tie the film together. It just seems like he took – the director took every technique he had and threw it at the film and like, oh, this is a cool thing to do and this is a thing to do and this we'll, we'll make this like this and we'll do the close-ups and the shaky cam. It just didn't feel like there was any – visual style that the film really had that it stuck to huh interesting that's an interesting point because the director scott frank he's mostly known as a screenwriter mm-hmm. and uh for with films that he's known for like uh the upcoming the wolverine starring hugh jackman but also films like minority report yes yes and uh you know what's interesting is that the guy hasn't actually directed all that many films that i can tell he's no, he mostly hasn't. been a screenwriter I, and I didn't realize right? that before I came to this conclusion, if that's what you're wondering. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I I realize that that's probably where some of the loose screws lie, is his uh, inexperience as a director. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that gives him uh, a, any kind of slack, uh, but I can see, I'm actually somewhat impressed by uh, his first directorial, you know, attempt mm. with this film. For that reason, because the guy has obviously got lots of great talent and probably mustered up a lot of skill over the years. Wouldn't be surprised if he has been like a second director or something at times. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, I, hmm. I, I'm I'm still in the zone that I, I have so many mixed feelings about this film because I want to like it on the one hand because it was well executed. And in, in many ways, I think better than like the first Taken. Which was no, uh, yeah, no. The first taken was oftentimes cliche. the The acting you, of the uh, the daughter and the mother was downright annoying, and Joe, everybody rooted Joe, for the you cray cray. <laughs> <laughs> but in that movie as well, uh, what was his name? Brian Mills. Brian Mills, yeah, the character. Yes, Brian Mills was just a, an ultra vigilante. He was just out for vengeance and, and like to wipe out all the people who would dare to touch his daughter. Are, are you kidding? And I understand completely <laughs> the feeling that you should take the law into your own hands no, no, no. because he, nobody else will. He had to get her back. He was getting his daughter back. Okay, but he tortured people. Yeah, wouldn't you if your daughter was taken? Uh, would I strap some villain to a chair in an abandoned building and wire him up to the electrical of the house and <laughs> okay. leave him there to all fly right, and all die? All right, Joe. Stop, stop making sense. Stop it. <laughs> but that's my point, is that if, if we have a problem with the, uh, the sadistic nature of the uh, serial killers in uh, a walk among the tombstones, that's good. We should, we should have a healthy 
appreciation for better va- virtue than that. Mm-hmm. But then when we go over here to something like unknown, it's much more subtle in the ways that it's playing up a little bit of sadistic quality because they're allowing the good guy to be the bad guy. They're allowing the good guy to do an awful lot of bad to do something good. And that is to protect and save his daughter. So they don't care how many guys he, you know, he pummels and shoots and kills and maims so long as he ultimately gets to his daughter. And so taking somehow take, takes advantage of our emotions to allow for Liam Neeson's character to do a lot of things that we would not excuse, uh, not in the real world. And we would certainly call into question if we were in similar circumstances. It just, it's the way in which the story is told that we buy into it in the emotion of the moment. Yeah, I guess so. I still, I, like, I still like taken. I And so in reflection, in contrast, going back to this movie, uh, even though it's a darker movie, uh, it's, it's more creepy and it's got its other problems. The one thing that I'm saying is, is that the walk among the tombstones is more realistic. It feels more realistic anyway, more authentic. And I appreciate it that the main guy, if you say what you want about Matt Scudder, he's not doing what he's doing out of revenge. That's true. He's not. And that was something I appreciated was that for the most part, he wasn't uh, violent for violence sake. And he, he was just trying to do the right thing. And it was really hard for him to decide what that often was. Yeah. So if like, if we could go back and have another edit of a walk among the tombstones that didn't indulge the violence from the point of view of the serial killers, and we were just left with pretty much everything else that was from the point of view of Matt Scudder and TJ, I think we would have a film I would like a lot more. Yeah, I can see that. So, Joe, we've been talking for quite a while. Why don't we why don't we wrap up our final thoughts or maybe that's what you've already done and you just want to give us your star rating. Oh, uh, sure. Well, I'll wrap it all up. Um, I'm giving this film a cautionary four stars. Whoa, dude. Yes, because I feel like it was that well done. I, I'm, I, there's not many crime dramas I would give that number of stars for. So that you're, you're saying that you would recommend this film to people, that they should go see it in the theater. And, but that's why I said it, I give a very cautionary one. I, I don't think that there's very many people that could stomach this film or let alone process this film very well. Um, in conclusion, I think that Liam Neeson is a picture-perfect, iconic crime drama protagonist. Of course he is. And he did a phenomenal job in this film. The story is surprisingly smart and well-directed-ish. Um, Ish. I didn't have problems <laughs> with the cinematography as you did. Oh, okay. And uh, for the most part, I'm more comfortable and familiar with the genre conventionality that goes all the way back to films with Humphrey Bogart and the like. And I'm okay with them. I don't care if they're familiar. It's like saying baseball is familiar and therefore tired and unoriginal. So therefore we should throw out the entire sports ball. I mean, like, I'm not going to do that. It's, it's pretty good. <laughs> and, you know, it's likable for a reason. It's, it, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Um, and this is one of those cases where I do like some of the genre conventionality of crime dramas. Um, but see, here's the thing on the flip side, and I'm still wrestling with this. A Walk Among the Tombstones, as dark and creepy as it is, 
and at times indulging the audience's taste for blood, lust, and violence and thrills, I have to say uh, some of the film is too distasteful to appreciate. Mm -hmm. Still, the message is more meaningful than most crime dramas, and I don't know. I just need to chew on it a little longer. Okay. Well, Joe, this week, uh, not every week, but this week, I am here to bring balance to the force. You did manage to raise my rating up. I was I was kind of at two, as I mentioned earlier in the show, and then I kind of went down, and now I'm back up to two because of you. So I give this film two out of five stars because I think maybe you helped me find some things to appreciate about the film. That said, I don't feel like this is a film I would recommend, and it's certainly not one that I liked very much. Uh, so I give it two out of five stars. Certainly do not waste your time seeing this in the theater. Not 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 just don't waste your time. Don't do that to yourself. This is – this. At least watch it in the comfort of your own home if you must must watch it where you can get your uh, your comfort blankie and feel a little bit safer. <laughs> <laughs> if you have any questions or doubts about seeing this film, don't see this film. Yes, and I, I would recommend in general don't see this film. I, 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 I wanted it to be something different than it was, um, and it just turned out to be torture porn for the most part uh, and, and uh, a thriller in the worst sort of way. Uh, not, not that I mind thrillers generally, but this just uh, – Anyway, so that was that's my view. Uh, IMDb, the users rate it 7.0 out of 10. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, the critics are at 65% and the audience at 64%. Um, and so that's our review of A Walk Among the Tombstones. So next week, Joe, you and I are going to be taking a week off. I'm going to be on vacation. I'm not going to be uh, doing a whole lot. I will still be writing a little for the website. Hopefully, you'll be writing at least a review, and, and maybe we can get you to pitch in some more, too, and help out that way, because I will be technically on vacation. Other than that, I'm not doing anything, and I'll have pretty bad internet anyway. So no podcast next week. And and you said you want to go ahead and just take a break rather than find a sub. Yes, I intend to write a review for The Maze Runner and uh, not much else. But yeah, I'm going to be writing for my my own site and trying to catch up on lots of projects around here. I was on vacation last week when when we podcast. And so... You're making me yeah. feel bad, Joe. Oh, please don't. I was a bad example for podcasting with you while <laughs> I was on vacation. All right. Well, uh, when we return, not next week, but the week after, and let me get the exact date. I've, I'm bad at dates. So that will be on the 8th. We will record. It will release the morning of the 9th. We will talk about – that's October, by the way. We will talk about The Equalizer, a film starring Denzel Washington. I feel like it could be a good film, but again, it may have some of those moral issues where this guy's taking the law into his own hands. Uh, and we did choose that over and above Gone Girl, I think, ultimately. We we talked about Gone Girl, but I think we're going to do The Equalizer. Uh, no, we've, we've already decided we're going to do The Equalizer, not that I think we are. And then after that, we'll probably do The Judge and then following that, Kill the Messenger. We may not get around to Gone Girl while it's still in theaters. I don't know. We'll see. I have mixed feelings about what that film may or – we'll see. If I'm hearing good things about the film, we may slot it in there. Anyway, that's a look at what's coming up. Uh, in the meantime, Joe, in the intervening week the, that people will miss us and they'll be sad and they'll cry and be blubbering mascara everywhere, <laughs> um, can you tell people where to – I guess I'm just assuming that all of our listeners are females. I totally didn't mean to do that. It was just, it was just, a, it was just a joke I wanted to make and it went horribly wrong. <laughs> um <clears throat> Uh, so if if uh, people would like to uh, keep what up has with happened to the show? you, if they would like to keep up with you, if they would uh, like to find you and stalk you and whatever else they want to do, where would they do that at? They can find me on Twitter. I'm underscore Joseph or Joe Darnell underscore Joe Darnell, and you can always read my site on JoeDarnell.com. 
right? And uh, you can find me at moviebite.com on the Twitters at uh, TJ Draper Pro. Um, and uh, that's where you'll find me. You'll find show notes for this episode, as I mentioned earlier in the show, at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 107. This is our 107th episode. Uh, and that is it for us this week. Uh, catch us in a two weeks, not one week, but two weeks. We will be back and we'll be talking about the Equalizer. Catch us then. Until then, have a great time at the movies. Talk to you later, Joe. Good night. Nice.